Welcome to Charles Stanley Radio, podcasts providing economic updates combined with some light-hearted conversation during this time of uncertainty. We talk to people from across Charles Stanley to get their insights and recommendations for life in lockdown. Morning everybody, uh, my name's John Cunliffe, I'm Charles Stanley's Chief Investment Officer and I introduce you to my colleague Scott Gardner. Scott? Good morning everyone, I hope everyone's keeping well. And Scott, you're our strategy analyst and you've been with the firm for about 15 months now. Yes, yes, I was, I've, I've been with Charles Stanley for about 15 months. Um, I previously was a portfolio manager of fixed income in New Zealand. So I do have a bit of experience in terms of um, macroeconomics and also managing risk at the same time. Good. So Scott's an important part of the team. Um, and what we'll try and cover off this morning is is the broad market environment covering off both the the top-down macro drivers of asset price performance, but also some of the bottom-up factors that need to be taken into account as well. You know, we've had a little bit of a sell-off over the last two or three days after quite a strong run-up, but I think it's probably important just to contextualise, you know, what's been happening really over the last three to four weeks, which is seeing quite a strong run-up in, in prices. So what's behind it? Well, you know, the spread of COVID-19 perhaps hadn't been as bad as was feared in the middle of March. And these so-called infection curves have been flattening. Um, in the UK, the rate of infection is now apparently below one. But obviously, the closer it is to one, the greater the risk that we go back above one and then have to go into a more restrictive phase. Uh, there's a lot of focus, I think, in, in terms of reopening the economy, particularly the US, and that's been taken positively. We've talked um, at some length about central bank liquidity injections, and these have caused uh, portfolio flows into risk assets. Credit markets have performed somewhat better, uh, both in terms of liquidity and also price discovery. And I think that's also calmed the nerves of equity investors who, who were worried about a wave of defaults. You know, and I think also FOMO, fear of missing out, I think certainly in the latter stages of the month seemed to grip investors. And there was, you know, quite a strong run up as well as people worried they were going to miss the move higher. So those are some of the factors, I think, that have been you know, a, a positive tailwind, if you like, to risk assets. But, but Scott, as we now, you know, head into the month of May, how do you see the market dynamic, you know, evolving, if you like, in the next two or three weeks? Yes, yes. Thanks, John. Uh, so previously, I have mentioned that on this podcast that we've been in an information vacuum. That's no longer, no longer the case. So we got GDP data for three major economies out uh, over the past week. And also the market is front running that economic data at the same time. So as you've just alluded to, John, the US market has mainly been front running expectations around reopening. And we're seeing that in terms of this, what we call style factor performance. So aspects of the markets with certain characteristics that do well in certain environments. So we're seeing those that have higher debt burdens and those who have slow earnings growth outperform those who have actually done very, very well in terms of the, the quality of the balance sheet and also the earnings, speed of earnings growth there. So that's that's the dynamic that's been driving the US market for about a month now is expectations around the partial reopening of the US. So that's that's what we need to look at there is it's not necessarily going to be a COVID case count anymore as the main driving factor. It's expectations around reopening. Okay, so just to, just to jump in for a second, um, clearly we had had quite a strong outperformance of, of so-called quality growth stocks. 
um, as people were prepared to and keen to pay a premium for earnings visibility. What you're now saying to me is that we've had a reversal of that, where you know some expectation of a cyclical pickup in activity has caused some of the weaker equities to begin to do a bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so one of the things we saw briefly, particularly uh, last week, um, so the week ending week ending the first of May, was that value, quote unquote stocks outperformed those who are growth oriented stocks now the composition within value is more tilted towards your energy companies because those would have lower price to earnings multiples and things like that compared to your tech darlings like amazon facebook and google for example and this of course is is the market expecting um you know such some reasonable pickup in in growth as we go through the second quarter yes. and i guess the risk to that view is that we have a much more protracted um you know time period before we do return back to normal Does yes that sense? yeah so the thing which we i think you and i have both talked about this in our morning meetings with with our investment managers is expectations around returning to back to january 2020 levels now, I've, I've used the case in point of China previously. So China is currently only operating at 80% capacity. So that stores 20% drawdown of, of its potential where it was. If that's the same situation in the US, we're not going to be at January 2020 levels for a very long time. It takes a long time to recover that last 20%. We need to factor in, and that's something that investors need to factor into account there, is there may be measures like social distancing, things like that, which will impact the consumption aspect of the economy. But then also there'll be business investment. People don't want to invest in businesses with growth as being, or if capacity is only is 20% lower than it actually is. Um, why would you want to invest in that environment? Now, granted, you may see some value, attractive valuations and things like that, where good quality well-run businesses will do well in that environment. But if you want to take a bit of a punt of more speculative areas, that's going to quiet down quite a bit. Yeah, and I think obviously the, the holy grail as far as returning back to normal is, is concerned, I guess, would be when we see herd immunity. Mm. Now, that's predicated on two things. One is um, a vaccination, um, which we are some way away from, from seeing, I guess. The other would be um, 60% plus of the population having had coronavirus. Um, and obviously that uh, would cause them to have Im- immunity from further infection. Now, in the case of the latter, we don't even know whether if you've had coronavirus once, you won't get it again. So that does make me think the path to a so-called normal environment could really be quite drawn out here. And that whilst capacity utilisation levels do rise quite markedly once um, lockdowns are lifted, they don't return back to where they were. And that, of course, brings us back to this whole issue about corporate profits. Mm. Now, corporate profits are expected to, to plummet in the second quarter, um, recover somewhat as we go into the, uh, the end of the year and probably be about minus 20% year over year from you know, the end of last year to the end of this year and then recover to around a 30% growth next year. So leaving them somewhat higher than where they ended 2019. Do you think that's a little bit too optimistic at the moment? Yeah, that's a little too optimistic. So if we could take a step back to where Q4 was. So back in Q4 2019, the city and the street were expecting about 13% year-on-year growth for 2021 and about 10% for 2020. So from looking at it from a mathematical standpoint, 
all they've done is just adjusted the numbers to keep the math the same. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so instead of having a steadle curve increase, they've had a drawdown and then a sharp reacceleration. Now, the issue I have with that is you've got your main contributor to earnings, which is GDP, and that is going to be slowing, and that's going to be twenty percent down for the year at least. Now, I don't necessarily know about 2021. I mean, depending on the, it really does depend on if the vaccine is readily available and it's mass produced so people can get inoculated. But also, it's going to be around sentiment and investor sentiment as well as of expectations. So those numbers which we just mentioned, that is from the sell side. So your Goldman's, your Morgan Stanley's, the equity analysts that cover the stocks. So that's something to bear in mind there. So. Okay, that's great. And I mean, in terms of the pattern of growth, mm. um, Scott, I mean, we, we've talked about uh, US GDP. I mean, that came in at, um, at around minus 4.8% for the second qu- first quarter. But of course, the underlying picture there was, uh, was for a steeper drop because mm. from a, a seasonal adjustments perspective, statisticians tend to attach a lot more weight to January than to March. So the argument would be there, if, I, if I'm correct, Scott, is that maybe the true picture for the first quarter was probably weaker than the number suggested. Is that right? Yes, yeah, so that, that is very true. That's, I mean, trying not to get too technical for our listeners, the, the quirks of GDP accounting are such that January has three times the amount of weight that March did. So the figure for March, the actual GDP activity in March would have been absolutely horrific. So, for example, we look at PCE, so that's personal consumption expenditure. So that's that's consumption for the U.S. economy. That was down minus 7.3% for month for March. So that gives you an indication of a level drop down there we're talking about. So moving forward, April will then be factored in. So April will carry a slightly heavier weight in the Q2 number when we get that reported. But it's that's why everyone's expecting the sharp drawdown in Q2 and then quote-unquote V-shape bouncing Q3. And that's just due to the mathematics of the situation. That's not necessarily reflective of the underlying economy. So you'll see people saying probably six months down the line, see, we got it was a V-shape recovery. Yes, the mathematics based on quarter-quarter change is the fact. But the underlying true aspect of the economy, if you look at it on a year-on-year basis, will still be deeply negative. So... It's just, it's just going to be very wary of what the media will put out and then also what the main players will put out as saying the actual underlying status of the economy. Right. So, so what we're saying, Scott, if I read you correctly, mm-hmm. is that the data is going to get very, very messy. It's going to be very volatile. Yeah. In terms of you know the cyclicality of the economy, the second quarter is probably going to be the weakest point. Mm-hmm. But if we cut to the year-over-year number, I mean, estimates of around minus 5.5 to, to minus 6% in terms of global GDP. Is that a reasonable guesstimate? Yeah, I think that's a reasonable guesstimate. So that would take us to somewhat weaker than we had in 2008 and 2009. Mm-hmm. Materially weaker. So I think it's, it's important to note, though, that the, you know, the macro is, is clearly a headwind here. And we can talk a little about, a bit about geopolitics in a minute, because clearly there are going to be heightened tensions between the US and China reflecting the, um, you know, the, the US election cycle and, and the Trump administration's keenness to attach a degree of blame on China for its origin and spread. But there is certainly some support from a, a policy perspective to markets. And of course, that mm-hmm. will tend to cushion much of the weakness that you'd expect to see. So 
So if we just touch on credit for a little bit, I mean, the corporate bond market has, has certainly improved a lot in terms of price discovery and liquidity over the last two to three weeks. And of course, you know, the Fed's balance sheet has increased by around 2.3 trillion. And some of the cash that's, um, that's actually been created is finding its way into risk appetites mm -hmm. and, and, and risk assets. So are you seeing some, some positive dynamic there to take away some of the edge from what seems to be a a headwind from a macro perspective? Yeah, so so what we've seen over the last uh, month and change when we had uh, no visibility over earnings or ma macroeconomic data was liquidity definitely helped help the rally that we saw both in the US and in the UK. So that's something which, until further notice, I think yeah. the Federal Reserve will be at at the party table keeping the uh, the punch bowl full for participants in the market. Will we see the Bank of England follow down the Fed's path in terms of corporate bond buying and then also the alphabet soup of vehicles that the Fed has got? Uh, we haven't seen any indication yet from the Bank of England that they will do that. But never say never with central bankers. So that's something to bear in mind. So, so what we're saying really is that, you know, we've had a, a horrendous sell-off in, in February and March as the extent of the lockdown became clear and the effect on the corporate sector became evident mm. and obviously people factored in the, the hit to growth in corporate earnings. We've had a, a very sharp recovery, you know, on the back of all the policy stimulus that we've seen. And of course, that's boosted risk appetite and, and made people a bit less fearful about some of the downside scenarios that uh, came into play a few weeks ago. And now we're entering a period where, where the fundamentals are going to come more into play but of course, it also means that, you know, any material weakness that we see in the market is probably an opportunity to to adjust equity weights a bit higher. Would you agree with that? It depends really on what your time horizon is going to be. If you're looking at a long term investor, which I think most of our clients and listeners are, then sustained downward pressure would present attractive opportunities. And those companies that do have good, strong balance sheets. However, if you're a tactical, more tactical focused then you probably want to take any bounce as an option to reduce equity exposure. So it really does depend on what your time horizon is and what your level of risk that you want to take on board is. Yeah. But I mean, I think what we're saying from a 12 to 18 month mm. perspective, which is what a lot of our, our managers manage their, their client portfolios against and possibly longer, you know, further material weakness is probably an opportunity to, to add. But from a short term perspective, if markets were to squeeze higher, those with a more trading orientation might wish to take a bit off the table. So it's a fascinating market environment, mm. wouldn't you agree? Yes, yes. It's, a, it's an interesting. And it's, I, would, I mean, personally, I mean, even though it's probably not the right word to use in this environment, but for me, this is a quite a fun environment, having the volatility in the market. Although it's not necessarily fun for investors and things like that, but from, from a strategy point of view, it's like, how do you navigate these waters successfully? And that's, that's the challenge which I do relish in, and I think you relish in as well, John. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the, there was a new uh, a new uh, letter of the alphabet thrown in in terms of economic uh, recovery path. Last oh, what, week. what they ended now? But it was a K. Oh, now, now, the K, <laughs> the K is, is, is a new one because we've had the we've had the V, we've had the U, we've had the L, we've had the Nike swoosh. Uh, and now we've got the K. Now, the K is is really predicated on a continued what I call bifurcation between those sectors which are likely to be winners in the current and, and post-COVID-19 world, and those that are going to be losers. Mm. So, so what it means is that in contrast to what we've seen over the last week or two, where you, you highlighted rightly that some of the less highly rated companies 
with more cyclical exposure would come back into favour. This is a world where so-called quality and growth stocks continue to do well because of their ability to be you know, able to generate above average earnings growth in, in an environment where they've got competitive advantage. And those so-called cyclically challenged uh, companies which have high levels of debt um, and a weaker position in, in terms of the economic environment continue to do badly. So ongoing bifurcation between so-called quality and um, and value stocks. What would be your, your sense of that? Is that a possibility? Yes, yeah. So as we move forward, there will be a more huntful defense of good quality companies that produce um, good cash flow, so have steady earnings or have consistently growing earnings, and that translates straight through into the cash flow. So this event also begs the question, what's going to happen to the industrials? That's what's going to happen to the financials, the energy stocks, like, for example, we had the, the West Texas crude price go down to negative 40 at the May expiry recently, um, just due to storage pressures. And whilst that may not be immediate impact there for the oil and gas sector, because they do engage in hedging programs, what is that going to mean next quarter, the quarter after that, when some of those hedges start to roll off? So that's something you've got to factor into account there within that, that particular sector. So, 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 so what you're saying... Mm. Scott, is some of these some of these um, energy companies have hedged themselves. Mm. Um, so unless the oil price makes a material uh, gain, that they're potentially vulnerable. Um, you know, given the shortfall that the um, the market will, will then give them in terms of revenue. Potentially. Yes. So, so so anything they don't have hedged, they they'll be making a loss on almost certainly at the moment. Um, yeah. Now the question is, when do those hedges roll off? Unfortunately, I don't have access to BP's trading desk or Shell's trading desk, so. <laughs> I can't give much more yeah. insight than that. <laughs> but clearly, as we as we sit today, um, I mean, I'm I'm no expert on the energy market, although I understand the dynamics that have pushed the market weaker mm-hmm. recently. You know, the, certainly the forward curves, the futures market is expecting a reasonable recovery mm-hmm. in, um, in 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 both Brent and West Texas inter- intermediate next year. Which, were it to happen, certainly would be a helpful um, development for energy companies. Yes, that will be definitely helpful. Um... So the issue, though, for, is still going to be U.S. shale. So U.S. Yeah. shale, which, I mean, this will touch on the geopolitics side of things as well, uh, is seen as a strategic asset for the United States, but they can't make money below $40 a barrel. So last time I checked the curves, I think the 2021 June was around $35, $36 now. Yeah. Yeah, no, Scott, you're right. We were below 40, yeah. um, and that's, that's, that's again, a tell. So we need to keep an eye on not what the spot market's suggesting, but what the forward curves are suggesting. Yes. Yeah. That's the point at which they can start hedging themselves again. Yes, well, whilst, whilst the minus 40 number was amazing to see, it had real no bearing on the oil company performance. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Should we just touch on the, uh, the sort of recent dynamic in terms of US-China? I mean, we're yes. now in uh, in election year. Um, you know, clearly, I think both both the Democrats and the Republicans are going to take a fairly hard line with with China now. You know, we've had all sorts of of, of, of strange noises out of the U.S. administration about maybe reneging on, um, you know, the, uh, the the promise to pay Treasury coupons and principles that China might hold, which I think is is highly unlikely. But obviously, the tariff words come back into the mm-hmm. frame. I mean, how far do you think this could this could escalate, and what impact do you think it's going to have on investor sentiment in the months ahead? Right. So, well, obviously, the worst case scenario would be an all-out conflict between the US and China. We're not saying that will happen. Um, 
Yeah. So the dynamics, I think you've got to see is two aspects of it. So the Trump, Trump will take a very, very hard line on China. That's one of the reasons why he wanted to succeed. He was is a very popular uh, message that now resonated with middle America. Um, now, the tariff situation that contributed to the trade slowdown around the world we saw last year in 2019. Um, it's not helpful to trade, to put it mildly. So if Trump is going to do that, just be aware that it's going to lead to further conflicts with the Chinese and it may cause inflation within the US just due to prices being passed on to the US consumer because just due to the amount of um, imports from China the United States has. So, but from a Democrat point of view, so Joe Biden does have a more positive relationship with China. Um, so there's, there's obviously, and that will be something which Trump will attack as well. So, so I think if I was China, Chinese, I would want Biden, Biden to be the next US president, just because of the history we, we would have with Joe Biden being vice president to Obama, and that would be seen as rest- restoration of relations to Obama-era Chinese policies. So that's so that's something to bear in mind there. Though they will take the Democrats will package that as being a bit more hard on China, but from Beijing point of view, they would want Biden over Trump. All right, but of course, you know, under the um, under a, a democratic administration with Biden in charge, corporate tax rates will be a bit yes. higher. So again, that so if there's less geopolitical um, stress in, in relation to U.S.-China relations, there would be an offsetting. Um, you know, higher corporate tax rate, which could be a, be a headwind for the market. That is assuming that, that he gets um, the Senate. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good observation. So I think I'll just wrap up and, and then, then give you the chance to make a couple of comments at the end, Scott. It's been a good conversation. Mm-hmm. So really where, where we've been in is a world of, um, you know, a, a really unprecedented collapse in terms of global economic activity, mm. with it a, a, a significant and, and painful markdown in corporate earnings um, expectations and delivery, which we're now seeing, and obviously uh, an extremely um, poor market environment in, in February and March. We've then seen unprecedented policy stimulus, which has helped stabilise things, and then clearly expectations of a return to normal have boosted markets quite strongly over sort of um, late March and April phase. We're now entering a slightly more mixed environment where fundamental policy support is a positive but incoming macro data and corporate earnings data will, will be a headwind. Our sense is that we might see a little bit of a volatility return of possibly weaker prices in the short term. And from a long-term perspective, I think what we're saying is weakness is an opportunity to add to risk. If from a short-term perspective, we're saying uh, any, any material run-up from here could be an opportunity to take a bit of risk off. So it's a, it's a fascinating market. Any last comments from you, Scott? Yes, yes. So I think you've touched on the key points that we've discussed. I'll just re-highlight the point I think needs to be reiterated. Just because lockdown restrictions will be easing doesn't mean we'll return to January 2020 levels immediately. It is going to be a long process, unfortunately. Um, And the new normal, whatever that will be, will have to be navigated successfully. So look for more stable companies, strong balance sheets, good cash flows moving forward. Okay, so so back to the kind of bifurcation in the market that we saw up until the last couple mm-hmm. of weeks, where people pay a premium for 
for good quality companies with the ability to grow their earnings at an above average rate and probably skewing um, cyclical names, which, which appear cosmetically cheaper, but could be a bit more challenged. OK, Scott, that's been a great conversation. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll catch up again thank soon. You, thank Take you, everyone. Care. Thank you for listening to Charles Stanley Radio. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it offered a small escape from life under lockdown. Please subscribe to be kept up to date with our latest releases. If you have any questions or comments about the content covered in today's episode, or any questions you'd like us to address in future episodes, then please do email these to events at charles-stanley.co.uk. Once again, thank you for listening, and as always, stay safe. The value of investments can fall as well as rise. Investors may get back less than invested. Past performance is not a reliable guide to the future.